Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a licensed nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and like we talked about a last episode, future boxer, but uh, I also run Strength Field and uh, USSF. I know we've got some listener mail and whatnot, but let's touch on that. Is that just um, getting off to a good start, a rough start? What's the boxing No, it's like? actually it's going better than I expected. Um, I expected my conditioning to be horrible um, mm-hmm. as far as like going three-minute rounds and things like that, but... Um, I can last three minutes so with with short rest. So, no, I'm not saying that I'm in the best shape for it yet, but I my initial starting point is better than I thought it was going to be because hmm. I haven't done anything like this in a long time. I mean, three minutes for a power lifter of, of activity is a ton. Eternity. So, yeah. yeah. So, But, I mean, even on day one, I was able to go in, and basically my first my first heavy bag session was three minutes straight just left hand punches mm-hmm. and then the next was three minutes straight left right combos and then minute rest and then three minutes straight left right left and yeah i made it through fine you know and that's that's not just standing in place throwing a left you have to constantly move around the bag um so you know you're never statically in one spot okay mm-hmm. um and then other night i'm just doing crazy stuff like all my squats i think we talked about this a little bit last show where i'm doing time sets so on session one i started off with 30 seconds where I'd, I'd just squat for 30 seconds straight, and then I'd take a short rest and then squat for 30 seconds straight. I'm up to a minute now, so minute-long sets. So. Now, with how much weight? Are you in two and a quarter, or what are you doing? I'm just doing 225. Yep. Yeah. I figured that's heavy enough. Yeah. Because I'm working more endurance than anything. So I, what I do is, like, this week I worked up to 550 for one, and then I drop down and then I do that stuff. So You know, it's funny. <clears throat> sometimes I have to readjust, like, recalibrate my thinking because, I mean, for – larger individuals two and a quarter that's not even your body weight Mm -hmm. you know so i tend to think of that as slightly above my body weight you know what i mean but i mean you are you 260 now what are you weighing now yeah i'm about 265 yeah yeah so that's good i figured that's more than enough to you know if i can i'm gonna try and push that up to where i'm doing two minute sets with 90 seconds rest that that'll be more than enough for my life to go through You know, my my legs will never do that in a boxing match, pretty much. That's right. So, Everything you so, do in the ring will be so will submaximal be easy compared to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't need to go up to three minutes. I don't think. Um, a minute's a long time when you haven't done anything like this. It's like, wow, I'm squatting for a minute straight. How many sucks. reps do you think? Like, how many are you counting reps I, at all? Yeah, I counted the first set and I got about thirty-five. <laughs> so <laughs> were yeah, you sore in a minute? Did you yeah, get sore? the first week I was amazingly sore. Oh man, and it's gotten better mm. each week. I had 15 seconds a week, so um, and that'll slow. I'm I'm guessing when I'm around the minute and a half stage, I'm just not going to be able to make a jump that fast. So I'll probably have to spend a few weeks at a minute and a half or something like that, and then sure, slowly, slowly yeah, give yourself two weeks. Up, but, yeah, so but That's yeah, funny. no, it's not bad. And just you know, I'm just doing more. My training in general is higher paced now. 
So I'll do one main move, which takes me about 15, 20 minutes, and I go heavy on that, and then then I just keep moving and getting stuff done. So <clears throat> Yeah, there's got to be that central cardiovascular thing always going on, I would think. You yeah, because that's really where I lack. I mean, I'm strong enough to be a boxer. The things I lack now are technical. You know, I'm technically, I'm not a boxer at all. I, I don't know the sport and my conditioning. Right. So if I can get those two things up, I'm fine. Are you going to strategize against, it's Jason, right, that you're doing this, uh-huh. Peg? Um, like, does he have <laughs> weaknesses that you can capitalize on? I don't well, know. I'm not going to talk about them. Because then he'll know <laughs> okay. what I'm trying to capitalize on. I just want to know if you're doing it at all, but you are strategizing a little. Yeah, well, I leave that up to my coach. Right, okay. So, oh, true, okay. Hey, that's actually a good segue. As much as I can. Uh, After we get through some listener mail, uh, our topic today, everyone, is going to be coaching mistakes. Um, So it just made me think about it. Of course, just now you said you're going to rely on your coach to help you with the strategy. Um, But when it comes to lifting or bodybuilding kinds of stuff, I mean, what if your coach has got a bad strategy? You know, you're really going to be screwed because you're relying on that person for a certain knowledge base, you know. So we'll talk about some coaching uh, mistakes with different lifts, like I said, uh, eating, all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me get to some of these listener questions. I have two that really jumped out. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Uh, he says, good morning. I wrote to you on Facebook, and you suggested that I email, so I did so. Um, I've been an Iron Radio fan since I first found you guys years ago, and I've enjoyed the community and the brother-sisterhood that you have put together. Uh, I currently am training to be a professional wrestler. I have a WWE tryout at the end of August and may even appear on TV. I currently want to dial in everything training and nutrition-wise, but I always find myself flip-flopping with not being big enough and not being lean enough. Uh, We have to wrestle in pretty much underwear, so it's very exposing, and you do want to look your best. I've attached two pictures and a link to my video submission for WWE's upcoming show, Tough Enough, so you can get a quick view of my body. I'm 5'11", 190. I lift three to four times a week. Uh, I do some intense cardio in the form of wrestling three times a week, and I eat around 2,500 calories. And it says, low, I know, I've been leaning out. I really would appreciate a suggestion of perhaps a workout or diet, uh, and maybe what you think would work for me. Uh, I don't know anyone personally who's a bodybuilder or could help with my dietary needs, so hopefully you guys don't mind tackling the topic. I have about five months to get in the best shape possible. Any questions needed from my end, please don't hesitate to ask. And, you know, I appreciate that, too. How often have you and I both heard, Phil, you know, I want to get big and ripped, and there's, like, no details. There's no baselines, you know. Um, I know you said you'd mentioned the question on air. Um etc et so thank you so much warren we'll just leave it at that warren so phil from your perspective what do you think i mean in some ways he's in a similar situation to you i mean you might not care what you look like in the boxing mm-hmm. ring um but he needs to be big but he doesn't want to get sloppy while he does it and he's got five months yeah man I, the only problem i'm seeing is all the w all the actual like high-end professional wrestlers that i have seen and met they're they're freaking big, you know. They're not five eleven, two hundred. Yeah, you know, they're yeah. two thirty, two forty. Um, so it just depends on where you're looking to go with this. I mean, and we, you're not going to put on forty pounds in five months. 
but and not stay <laughs> stay lean. Yeah. So I mean that's that's not the case there. But I definitely try and get bigger because um, I mean basically what you're doing is all show. It's it's I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's pretty much a physique competition with some activity going on. There's you're athleticism. You know? Well, yeah, there's athleticism for sure. But I mean it, it's more about the show than it is about like. <clears throat> um, I'm gonna probably break some people's hearts, but as far as I know, WWE is not real wrestling. It's all scripted. You know what I'm saying? Well, I know that's always the <laughs> elephant in the room topic, <laughs> so, isn't it? Uh, well, let's face so it. I mean, it's, like, it's entertainment. It's actually, WWE. No, it's an entertainment. Yes, you're being an actor, so you know you need to look the part. Whereas you know, in powerlifting, it doesn't matter, or in boxing, it's just whoever kicks the other one's ass. It doesn't matter which one's prettier. You you have an element of you need to be pretty to have the job in, in WWE. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, that's a tough one. I mean, I'd say do anything you can to add on 10, 15 pounds you yeah, know, well, and, and come right in a now, bit leaner. That's a good point. I mean, I think uh, we need to set a realistic weight gain goal. So let's yeah. say he can put on at the most three to five pounds a month. Mm-hmm. So let's say three pounds a month uh, of relatively lean muscle mass. Now, he's at least intermediate based on his photos, you know what I mean? More intermediate to advanced. So sometimes you get that diminishing returns too. You can't expect 30 pounds of gain, you know, Mm. like from square one. But uh, if it's three pounds a month, he's got five months, that's 15 pounds. You know, uh, he's sure not going to do that eating 2,500 calories a day. I mean, that's not even maintenance for him right now. Uh, If he's this (laughs) physically active, um, I would think – you know, I would keep the weights fairly high. I mean, you've got to get enough volume, you know, like sort of that classic five sets of five kind of thing might might be good as a combination of strength, but enough volume to hypertrophy, you know. Um, protein around a gram per pound, that's surplus. I, I Again, it's blasphemy to some people because they want to eat a gram and a half a pound and that sort of thing. But when I say a gram per pound, that is so much surplus, I don't think most people realize at that point, you're manipulating carbs and fats, really, you know, but there's the standard supplement approach too. you know, protein pre and post lift. And for him, pre and post getting in the ring, too, I would think, uh, you know, 20 to 30 grams pre and post exercise, um, fish oils, you know, uh, you can't go crazy on refined carbs or fats, but you're going to have to maintain some of that if you're going to gain, you know, you can't completely do away with your energy, your calorie sources, so olive oil, mixed nuts, stuff like that, you know, just eat clean, um, but lots of it. But I would think he's going to have to get up around 3,500 calories to gain. You know, that's about 1,000 over what he's doing now um, yeah. and not counting every gram. You and I have talked about that many times. You know, you can't just say, let's see, I'm going to eat an extra 172 calories a day times this many days and I'll gain. No, probably not. You know, mm-hmm. you got to. You got to move forward a little bit more aggressively than that, and I mean he's not a small person, uh, so no. But if you look, I mean, like I'm looking at uh, some images right now of top end WWE wrestlers when they were wrestling, like The Rock and things like that. Mm-hmm. He is less ripped when he was on stage or in the ring than he is now acting. You know, they weren't like bodybuilder lean; they're more of an athletic build. Mm-hmm. You know. You can see there's like abs there, but it's under something and things like that. Right. So you yep. don't need to be chiseled abs. You know, you just, you, 
they're big, you know, and they're more athletic. They look like a very big wrestler wrestler, I guess is what you'd get at, you know. So it's not it's not ripped. So, I mean, it probably won't hurt. I don't get I, – I, I can't see the pictures right here. Lonnie has them on his screen. But, you know, my guess is that even if you went up a percentage point or two on your 15-pound gain, it's probably going to help um, just to be bigger, you know, and have some more stage presence because that's a big ring and you're going to be going against big guys. You don't want to look like – the tiny guy. I think there might be some concern of uh, what Chris Sugar calls former fat boy status. You know, where yeah. once you carry extra fat, you, your body's going to be more ready to put it back on because mm-hmm. you've got more fat cells. Because he says, um, I was 250 and out of shape. Cut all the way down to 180, then up back up to like uh, 215, building muscle, now around 190. Yeah. Um, so in one sense, I think he could use that to his advantage. I mean, if he was 250... Um, yeah. His body might want to go back there. He's just going to have to uh, fuel himself. And again, I don't think 3,500 calories is uncalled for. I mean, if he's lifting three or four times a week and wrestling three times a week, yeah, that is that's pretty modest. I, I think yeah. anything less than 3,500 a day is um, mm-hmm. you're not going to make that three pound a month gain. Because I agree with you. I mean, when you look at those guys, and let's face it, I mean, performance enhancing drugs are a big part of that. I mean. Yes. W- what you said about the rock recently really jumps to mind i mean uh, i'm you know i'm not going to cast aspersions about doping or whatever but you know he's not in a sport that bans it so i'm not going to make a judgment call on that but you can tell by his current physique that it's not (laughs) it's not natural yes you know i mean he's like you said bodybuilder ripped like gh clenbuterol performance enhancing drugs ripped and he wasn't like that you're right he wasn't like that before he was just a big guy that looked I don't know. It's hard for me to explain. It was a, it's a very athletic look. You know, most athletes you see aren't just ripped. No. You know, they carry some body fat. Yep. I mean, look at NFL players, everything else. So. 10% fat, 12% fat. Yeah. You know, you know uh, low, but not low. Right. Know? Yep. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that'd be the case. And if you're actually putting in mat time and gym time and whatever, it's going to be hard to, you're not going to have a lot of spillover, you know, from, from eating more. Yeah. To gain, so just because your activity level is high, so so I think we're agreed. Uh, I think ma- mass needs to be his focus. Yes, he's been bigger I, I before. So. I know he's paranoid about that, and I can appreciate that. But if he keeps sugar out of his diet, you know, um, and his food sources are the traditional bodybuilder type foods, but plenty of them. I mean, you can get mm-hmm. carbs from brown rice, yams, uh, red potatoes. There's lots of great sources. Mm-hmm. You know, buckets of chicken and lean cuts of beef and, you know what I mean? You can do this well. I mean, occasional piece of fruit's not going to hurt you, you know? Um, yeah. But, again, not knowing so many things. We're going to talk about coaching errors in a little bit here. but And he's willing to answer them, and I think that's clever of him to say this. But there's so many things that go into, like, uh, when you just sit down and do a nutrition assessment and plan and you have to get certain diagnoses and there's a lot there's just so many things that go in, go into this here from a baseline assessment and we don't have a lot of assessment info you know but yeah i think phil and i are saying the same thing warren get bigger man you know heavy compound lifts basic core type lifts and i don't mean midsection core i mean like squat bench deadlift you know that well, kind of thing and even as far as i mean i would hope that even as far as whoever's judging this thing goes of who gets the job or whatever one would think that if you walk in there and you're just too small and not strong enough to get the job done, 
you'd be better off if you walk in and say, okay, this guy's big, he's strong, he just needs to lean out a little bit. You know, yeah, that's not that hard. So you know, he can get the job done. We just need to make him look a little better. You know, you'd think it'd be easier to get the job that way than if you come in and was like, wow, this guy's just too small. I mean, yeah, you don't small. want to be branded small. Yeah, you want to be able to get the job done and throw these other guys around. You know, so. Yep. Well, yeah, so my best advice there would be, obviously, you're not going to do this with fast food, you know, but you've got to keep some source of uh, fats and carbs and just put them in strategic places, you know, before and after you train and that sort of stuff. There is the approach, uh, I think we've all done it, Rob's done it, Phil, I think you've done it, I've certainly done it, but if you want to keep your body fat down, putting in 45 minutes on a treadmill before breakfast in a fasted state, more or less, just walking uphill or outdoor light walk, jog, uh, that might help create a negative fat balance in the morning so then when you eat more later it kind of balances out you know it's, it's all an attempt to partition nutrients where you want you know and drain nutrients uh like fat f- from you know where you want so okay uh the next one is pretty different and i think i know your answer on this one already phil but this is from alan he says hi i'm a longtime listener and supporter of iron radio uh, the content content you guys put out is awesome, and just listening to you, Phil and Rob, has motivated me to keep training and attempt my first powerlifting competition this summer. Uh, I had a quick question I was hoping you could help me with. For a long time, I took All Max Iso Natural, which uses a cold temperature process that I understand from their marketing as a type of cross flow microfiltration. Now, again, this is a protein question. Mm-hmm. Um, I have now found from a website called Canadian Protein, I'm in Canada, uh, a different isolate that provides an additional gram of protein per serving and is cheaper, but it's composed of ion exchange whey as opposed to this, you know, cold filtration stuff. Is there a real difference? I've read that with ion exchange, the protein becomes denatured and is therefore less biologically available. I suspect as many things in the supplement industry that there's no real difference for an ordinary gym rat. In the same way, I'm not sure heating my protein to make a brownie does anything harmful to it either. Uh, what are your thoughts? Is an extra 20 bucks per five-pound tub of the cross-flow microfiltration worth it? Thanks, Alan. Let you tackle this one. Well, I and again, I think I know what you think too about this, but <laughs> no, it's probably not worth it. I mean, yeah. Uh, whey protein is a very high quality protein. And when you're talking about the differences in cold filtration versus ion exchange, this is in the land of minutia from my perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest, this might surprise some people, but I don't even differentiate that much between a whey isolate and a whey concentrate. Mm-hmm. So, for example, whey concentrates are usually considered more sort of concentrated down from more of a whole milk source or whole whey protein source and they might have a little more lactose or this or that versus the isolates which isolate away the the whey protein itself you know but and this is even a step beyond that like what's the filtration method and um i would i would choose a good cheap as possible way as long as it's not spiked with one or two cheap ass amino acids or something you know good whey protein and there's even some stuff in the iron radio store uh, with some good brands of whey protein, but um, that's what I say. I would not spend the extra 20 bucks on one type of filtration versus another because it's all going to be uh, pretty damn bioavailable, to be honest. One, plus or minus one gram doesn't concern me. When I see a scoop that only has 16 grams, like some of the muscle milk, 
that starts to concern me because there's other stuff in there. You know, a, the standard size scoop in protein, I'd have to go look at the actual size. But it should have 20 to 25 grams of protein in it. Um, and if it's whey and they're actually meeting label claims, like I said, it's not stuffed with other crap, I don't care. I mean, whey protein is very high quality in all its forms. Uh, it's going to be bioavailable. And he even mentioned like heating a brownie. That comes up pretty regularly. I mean, we were selling some protein brownies for a little fundraiser. Uh, uh, gosh, it's been two years ago now. But it, even if it denatures the protein, all of those essential amino acids, like that super important leucine, it's still there in plentiful amounts. So mm. it's not like you're only going to absorb half of it if it's cooked. You know, let alone filtered slightly differently, yeah. you know, so. And that's what people don't get about the whole denaturing thing. <sighs> Nothing is going to denature your protein more than your stomach acid. <laughs> right. So it's going right. to be really denatured once it goes in you. So just because they're broken down a bit, that ha I mean, if you wanted to twist that, you could say it's even a, a positive. Like, hey, my body has to digest a little less. Yeah. You know, it's already broken down for me. So it just depends on how you swing things. I mean. A, a, a good marketing professional would probably take that side and say, look, we've broken it Spin down for it. you a little bit. Yeah. You know? No, it's so. a good point. I mean, one of the purposes of the hydrochloric acid in your stomach is to sort of unravel, mm -hmm. you know, and because proteins, of course, are huge molecules, you know, the amino acid sequence in there of all the 20 different amino acids that make protein, there's different sequences and it'll bend and kink in different ways. You've got this big tangle, imagine like a 3D molecule floating there. And then... Yeah, you're like you said. I mean, the your stomach has a pH of like two, three, you know, on a fourteen scale, so it's very acidic, and it's going to denature and unravel that as part of the digestion process. So that's a good point. Um, so I wouldn't worry about it. Like I said, as long as you're convinced that it it is meeting label claims, because I remember even when Ion Exchange came out, um, that in this case seems like to be maybe a lesser choice. Um, it was the shit. It was the bomb. You know, so I, I don't. I wouldn't worry about that too much. I mean, whey is, you know, at the top of the protein quality scale. It's called the PDCAAS, the Protein Digestibility Corrected Amino Acid Score. But the the point being is, uh, I wouldn't sweat it. And like I said, I, mm. I I'm guessing if somebody in your facility asked you, you'd be like, I don't know, go for bang for the buck. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Sometimes I'll go to Protein Factory and get they have ten pound bags of mm -hmm. whey, you know, stuff like that. All right. You had a question about or um, a comment about spotting in the deadlift, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I forgot. Um, yeah, somebody put it up. It was Esteban posted a link on the Iron Radio listeners page about um, how to spot a traditional deadlift. And it was an article put out by, by NASM, NASM. It was hard for me to even open it. But... Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, because I really don't believe there's a way to do it. I mean, it's one of those lifts where eh, you're in trouble, stop, you know, and just you let go. It's not like a squat where the bar's on your back. But, you know, they go through this hard process of saying, yeah, they're maybe not they're hidden a, a proper way. The first part of the article is good. It just talks about, you know, never grab the bar, stay out of the lifter's line of vision, things like that. Keep the platform clear. But then, you know, they go into this direct application of a spot and they're telling the coach or the trainer, I guess, to you place one hand on the lower back and then somehow unobtrusively insert your forearm in front of them on their chest um, and pretty much aid in the lift that way. Yeah, I, I, it yeah. just seems, 
You know, if somebody tried this with me, you'd get pissed off. Yeah, I'd be like, "What the hell are you doing? I'm trying to lift here." Yeah. And I don't know how. I mean, basically, the only way I can see this is they're going to have to straddle the bar, and and somehow, I guess you're going to hope that you're much taller than the person you're spotting, because um, if not, we're going to run into troubles where that bar goes. But yeah, I mean, some moves just inherently aren't made to spot, and this is one of them. That, and I think any of the Olympic lifts, you just really can't. You, you, there's there's no safe way to do it. I mean, it's probably more unsafe to attempt to spot somebody than it is just to stay back and take time and, and coach them how to do it correctly. And with the deadlift, you know, if you're in a bad position, you just tell the lifter stop. They set it down. <clears throat> you know, you're just looking for, you know, teaching them how to get into the correct positions with with minimal weight to start and slowly move up as they learn it. So, I mean, I've taught hundreds of people over the last years to to, to deadlift, and nobody's gotten hurt. So. Um, there's never been a bar dropped on yourself and things like that. So, um, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't see the point. I don't. I don't really get the point of that. Like you said, it's not like you've got a couple hundred pounds on your traps or even an Olympic bar for God's sake. There's nothing hovering over you and threatening yeah. you. Just dr- yeah. drop it, bail. I don't yeah, know. Just bail and get out of there. You know, come back again. So, <clears throat> yeah. It's just even the plates aren't anywhere near your feet. Yes. You know, that's why those Olympic bars are as long as they are, I imagine. So, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, I have one last one, and then we're going to go to break here. This surprised me, so I thought I would just um, let everybody know. We'll see where this goes. It's the kind of news that's so dramatic that I wonder if it's going to pan out. But this is, I got this through my usual sort of science channels, but this was drawn originally from CBS Miami. They did a report, and this is the title of it. Uh, Sylvester researchers report prevention of lethal prostate cancer with dietary supplement. So, yeah, sometimes I see this dietary supplement stuff, and I'm so used to the hyperbole in the drama that I'm like, okay, whatever. But there, I don't know what kind of financial links there are, but I'm not seeing as much of it as usual at least. So let me just set this up. It says, in a groundbreaking lab study, a research team at Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine has found that a non-toxic oral agent that's commonly consumed over the counter, uh, for example, Asia, Europe, um, is highly effective in both preventing and treating prostate cancer. Uh, Additionally, the agent was even able to halt the metastatic spread of the disease. So if you're not familiar, prostate cancer is one of the most common cancers in men. A lot of men actually develop like a low-grade prostate cancer by the time they're in their 70s, but there are more aggressive ones, of course. And, you know, if you're a guy, this is like in some ways it's like sex-related, like breast cancer to women, Mm -hmm. you know, prostate cancer for guys. There's charities around this and everything else. Um, We found that for lumboliferone, what a word. No wonder they call it 4MU. So 4-MU was able to block a key signaling pathway that triggers the development, growth, and even metastasis of prostate cancer, said the study's principal investigator, Venata Lokeshwar, Ph.D. professor of urology. Um, and then this concerns me a little because you don't usually hear clinicians and scientists say this. Quote, the results were simply amazing, close quote. It does say the study, dietary supplement for methylumboliferone, an effective chemoprotective and therapeutic agent for prostate cancer, was published April 13th in the Journal of the National Cancer Institute. So I don't know. It looks legitimate. Let me Mm -hmm. see if I can't give you any more background. 
4-MU has been known to inhibit the synthesis of hyaluronic acid, or HA, a sugar polymer. Years of prior research uh, in Lokeshwar's lab found that the HA family of molecules promotes prostate and bladder cancer cell growth, as well as their invasive activities from spreading and that sort of thing. 4-MU shuts down these processes by inhibiting HA synthesis. Uh, we found that when treatment started early at 8 or 12 weeks, it completely inhibited, inhibited prostate, prostate cancer development and growth, said Yates, who was a graduate student, etc., uh, etc. Et at 22 weeks, we found small cancers that had stopped growing and even regressed in some cases. Also, to our amazement, uh, while 60% of the animals, this is an animal study initially, in the control group experienced metastasis to distant organs. None in the treatment group developed metastasis. Again, spread from the original prostate cancer. 4MU did all of this without causing any toxicity uh, to the host. So then they start speculating. And of course, you get the, I mean, this is just CBS. So the science journalists are going crazy. But uh, it does say 4MU has a long history of safe oral nutritional supplement use. Um, so stay tuned. I don't know. 4MU. If you end up with prostate cancer, like I said, most men actually eventually when they're old get, by the time they're old, have some form. Um, wow. I don't know. Dietary supplement. Just completely um, both not just prevention, but actual treatment. And that's what blows my mind. Because, right, normally these nutrients, they're good for, like, slowly preventing things that might come at you very build up chronically over the decades. But this is actual treatment. So, I don't know, 4MU in the news. Okay, let's go to break. We'll come back. We're going to talk about uh, coaching mistakes. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69. US So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, 
Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook – uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Iron Radio listeners are a unique bunch. You value both in-the-trenches skills and the research and evidence that informs it. That's why, as a listener-supported show, we occasionally do funds drives to keep everything free and advancing. Did you know your donations at www.ironradio.org pay for web servers? They allow for small sponsorships of gifted competitors or students and even partly fund research on our specific population. That's what we're asking for during the spring and early summer funds drive. Dr. Lowry, that's me, and some students are on the verge of some key discoveries involving caffeine and explosive lifts. But we need help to get the message out. If you value the authenticity, expertise, and real progress Iron Radio provides, please consider a donation. Any amount is appreciated. But if you could put forward $25 or more and email robertfortney at hotmail.com about it, we'll send you some behind-the-scenes audio lab notes that were recorded during data collection. They offer true insight into what research is like on barbell athletes. Thank you for considering it. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, welcome back, everybody. It's Phil and Lonnie, and we're going to talk about some coaching uh, errors. We talked early in the show already about how if you get bad advice, you know, bad strategy, bad programming uh, from your trainer or your coach, and this isn't going to include nutritional coaches, quote unquote, but uh, you're in trouble, you know. So we'll touch on some of this because we've both known lots of nutritionists and coaches, of course. So mm-hmm. let's start with some of the power lifts, Phil. I mean, what are some common mistakes that people make? And I don't pick any of them. I know deadlift's probably your favorite, but. Uh, any of the lifts, and then what do coaches sometimes do wrong on behalf of their client? Well, I'm going to start in general. Um, and the, the the first thing that jumps out to me is in all of the lifts, um, the two number one things I see is just loading. Um, you either You see one of two things for some reason. Either, like I've had clients recently move over to me that um, – it's like their trainer was scared to give them load. So like a year and a half later, they're still doing exactly the same sets and reps and weights oh. um, type of thing. And then, you know, then you see the opposite and it's like, okay, you're on day two. Let's max. You know? <laughs> right. So, um, you know, you get these people that are way too overzealous to add, add a bunch of load to a person. Um, 
So it's, well, we need to see where you are. It's like, no, you don't. You know, we can slowly add a little, and over time we'll find out where they are anyways without, you know, maxing them out on day two. So, I mean, you see a lot of that. I mean, just um, no idea to how to do any type of progression with, with somebody that's new, um, <clears throat> where it, it's pretty, I don't know, it's it's pretty self-evident to me now after doing it so so long. But, um, you know, it's totally based on anytime somebody new comes to me, like, I just know I can't go off percentages, and, you know, they're not going to go 70% for this many reps, and next week 70, you know, plus 70 pounds or 70% plus 5. You know, it's just not going to happen because, you know, it's it's very likely that they might – last week 70% is next week 60. You know, they, they've literally gotten that much stronger that fast. So um, it's, it's very a, a day-by-day loading thing about what I see and making sure they do it right. So um, – and it just not load them up right away. I mean, right. the number one thing is just let's learn how to do this right. And it doesn't take a lot of weight to teach somebody how to do it right. Um, you know, so, I mean, I stay with, let's say it's a squat or something. They don't even get a bar first. First, we're going to learn how to squat. Oh, okay, you, you caught onto that real well. Now we're going to hold the kettlebell and squat. Okay, you did great there. You know, now we're going to go to a bar and squat. And it's just realizing that everybody, everybody's learning curve is totally different. I've had kids come in that, like, within minutes we're putting up some impressive weight you know and these are kids that haven't done anything before it's just because they're naturally athletic and they've done other sports Mm -hmm. um and i've had other kids where it's like okay we're on week four it's time to get under a bar you know because the kid had no clue like his his idea of activity was hitting his thumbs on buttons and a joystick so i mean that's probably number one is just learning that every client is an individual and you know your loading parameters are totally different so um, you have to be ready for that as a coach. I mean, that you just have to know that I've had people that could come in and they literally can't squat themselves. Like day one, you can't squat down and stand up on your own. Mm-hmm. So, oh, sure. and it's, yeah. So, I mean, it's just a, you have to be ready for that and, and know what to do. So, um, geez, other than that, it's in the, the power lifts. I think it's, it's getting better now because raw lifting's coming more back around and you're seeing like articles about it and stuff. But for a long time there, like anything written was based in equipped powerlifting. So you'd see coaches teaching high school athletes and, you know, athletes in other fields that aren't equipped powerlifters. They'd teach them the equipped type of powerlift. And it just doesn't work that way. No, it's not the same. And, I mean, I'm just not a big proponent of having, like in the squat, for instance, this ultra-wide stance, sitting way back without the support of your hips of a suit. And you'll see that a lot. Um, or you did. It's it's less and less now because, I, I don't know, we're in this athletic age of, of lifting, which is pretty awesome. But uh, um, that's a big one. You know, ultra-wide benches, ultra-wide squats, um, and j- just teaching a an equipped form of lifting to non-equipped lifters. Whereas, I mean, I think you get more out of it, especially, you know, gen pop, just teaching a regular old squat, you know, and have them go down as far as they can safely. Like, I'm I'm known as a power lifter, but, you know, most of the people that come into my facility, it's we're going to have most of you squat below parallel as long as you have the mobility to do it, you know, because we're going to get more bang out of our buck. And then if six months from now you tell me I want to be a power lifter, okay, now we can take that strength that you gain and you're, you're your excellent mobility and teach you how to get wound up at parallel, you know, so it's two different things there, but, um, I don't know. I guess it's the, the, 
the big mistake is just looking at everybody as a whole. Like, you're a person, so you lift this way. No, no. You know, we're all different people. So Yeah. Lack of assessment is something that you see in the nutrition yeah. side of things, too. Like, you can't start programming people. Like, here's your 8-week or 10-week or 12-week program. Here's your progression model. And like you said, what if their skill is so poor they can't squat down into, uh, uh, well, you know, a deep squat w- with their body mass, just with their, mm-hmm. with no bar, you know? I mean, there are some rules of thumb, I suppose, like, you know, roughly 5% every two to three weeks, mm-hmm. but that's a linear model that's b- for ballpark. And like you're mm-hmm. saying, it's, I think a lot of trainers and coaches, they don't, not only do they not do initial assessments to get baselines, but they don't follow cues. Like so mm-hmm. much of what you were just saying is these are this is monitoring that you're doing and you're adjusting on the fly because you're experienced, yes. you know. So like you're not gonna say, Oh well, two weeks have passed, we're gonna add five percent to all of your loads. Well Yes. Yeah, maybe they're stuck or what if they're high end? Instead of on the low end, beginner on the high end uh, you're going to expect some diminishing returns. Somebody might be stuck at a weight for weeks to months even. I mean, hopefully not for too long. Well, yeah, especially if you're talking that person that, um, you know, can't squat themselves. It may be our step number one is, okay, let's be able to not squat ourselves properly at least with some assistance. Next step is, okay, now we're going to get to squat ourselves. You know, it might be three, four months, you know, <laughs> Before they have any kind of loading, right? You know, number one is fixing things. You know, in, the, in my hierarchy of, you know, progression, it's okay. Let's assess you. Let's fix anything that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And then after the danger is fixed, now it's just working efficiencies. Okay, that's okay. We need to get here. You know, you're going to be a more efficient lifter if we can do this. But at least what we're doing isn't going to kill you. <laughs> you know, right. I want to right. stop the things that are going to kill you first. And that's you know. So yeah, I mean. Uh, Number one thing is if I have somebody new, the first thing we do is we walk through everything. We go through every lift that you're going to do in my facility. And for some people, like I had a new kid last night, and he went through squat, bench, deadlift, press, rows. We we made it through a laundry list of things in one evening. He was a fairly athletic kid. I've had people where it's like, okay, we're going to go through all these things. It may take us two weeks right yeah this day one we're squatting correctly yeah in a safe back position without your heels coming off the ground without you know so we're gonna take as long as we need to to get you right so i mean that's you can't have this you need a i don't know a book or a template of how you're gonna assess these people but it's got to be fluid for the individual because people learn at different rates and people have different you know people have different injuries people have different strengths and weaknesses and things like that so um, you know, your progression for every individual is going to be different. So, right. Yeah. I, to me, uh, maybe because of my science background, but ongoing monitoring is a, a no brainer for me. You know, a couple of years ago, I was seeing more and more come out from the dietetics groups about, you know, with medical nutrition therapy and the nutrition care process and all this. And some of this, they're almost announcing like this is some big new thing. And to me, it was just seems so obvious. Of course, you're going to get baseline data on someone. It could be range of motion, like you're saying. I mean, not necessarily pathologies, but correct things like if they lack enough mobility to sit down, you know, you're going to work on some of that. Or balance, like mm-hmm. bar on your back. I mean, there's some skill acquisition things here. And then, of course, you're going to monitor things as you mm-hmm. go. Are you making progress? 
in range of motion or in not just in the weight on the bar, but, you know, balance, skill, body weight, body fat, I mean, uh, even more uh, subjective things like motivation to train, you know, all that kind of stuff. You can monitor things and adjust these sorts of progression models. I mean, I do like the idea that there are those ballparks out there, like roughly 5% every two or three weeks or – because then you don't have people, like you said, doing asinine things like, oh, let's let's jump that load by 25 to 40%, you know, and just hurt somebody badly. Uh, but yeah, those are guidelines, and they're supposed to be adjusted with monitoring and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think another one is knowing your individual client's goals. A big mistake that I see a lot of coaches do is like, uh, we see it a lot around here. Okay, you came into my facility, we're going to train you to do this, because it's my facility and that's what I do. Um, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, they try and turn every client into them. Oh yeah. And it's like, you're, they're not you. Let's sit down with them and figure out what the hell they want to do. You know, my I, I had some people come in and like I have a young baseball player that's a very good player, um, and he, he's still young. He's a freshman in high school now, but he's been and went and tested out, and he's like number two in the whole region um, of pitchers. And but the kid is like 128 pounds, six two. Oh, you know, he just keeps stretching like an eel. Yeah, he's he's grown like six and a half inches over the last year, and. You know, our goal for him is I, I love astagrass squats, but when you're that long and that that skinny, and you know, our goal for him is let's let's try and get the parallel on most reps. You know, and but I mean, it's also his sport doesn't. As a pitcher, he never has to do an astagrass squat. If we get hip drive out of him and get some strength for his pitching, we're fine. So um, I'm not going to force him to do that and hold him back. You know, I'm just looking to get some strength training done that's going to assist his sport. You know, he's never going to be an Olympic lifter. <clears throat> so I don't need to waste my time doing that. You know, I, the same thing with the Olympic lifts. I love Olympic lifts for pitchers. I don't need to spend the time to turn him into, like, get his technique to where it's 98%. If we give him a good 70 80%, something that looks good and is manageable and is safe, I can get transfer out of that. It'd be a waste of my time to say, okay, Peyton, we're going to take six months and really, really learn these lifts. And and we're going to lower the load and learn how to do them perfect. Well, I just wasted six months of his progression that he could have, we could have spent just making him stronger and more Stimulus. Explosive. He just needs a stimulus to be better. He, he, yes. You know, he doesn't need to be an expert at a sport that he has no interest in doing. We need to do things that enhance his sport. You know, Phil, so, let's, let's call that the... Uh, Bodybuilding, powerlifting, um, success judgment error. You know what I mean? Because we're judging success, like you said, well, that's not below parallel. You fail. Mm -hmm. You know, then we're trying to apply our sports to them. And I I do think a lot of trainers and coaches do that, you know, like, oh, yeah, you have to go below parallel in the squat or even parallel whatever people. I mean, I'm a big believer in full range of motion squat. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you can't say that's a failed squat when the person is doing it for a sport that doesn't require any type of hip or knee flexion more than 90 degrees, you know. Yeah, and full range of motion is totally different for everybody. Uh, you know, I was, I was lucky enough, I've worked with some NBA players that are like 6'10". Oh, God. <laughs> Go tell one of them to do a full rock bottom squat and get their butt two inches to the floor. That's a long freaking way to go. There's a reason why Olympic lifters are short. Yeah. 
You know? They're going to fold fold up like a launch. <clears throat> yeah, and the, those lever arms are just so damn long. It's like we don't need to do that. Uh, I'm going to push them as far as I can safely, but, uh, yeah, I'm not going to fold them up like a lawn chair. And then, okay, stand up. You know? <laughs> no, it's just it, it's asinine. It's unsafe. So you have to be able to relate to many different populations and realize that everybody's goal is not the same. You need to, you know, I, I've always, when I started out as a coach, I, I realized this. It was like, my job is to make you what you want to be, you know, so you got to tell me. The more clear you can be about what you want to be, the better than I can create a training plan for it because it's totally different than what I want to be. So, yeah, yeah, the, um, maybe we'll call that the just like me error. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Nutrition gurus do that so badly. And you know what? I think a lot of young men and women who get into resistance training, they're very prone to say, Hey, how'd you do that? You know, how do yeah. you get so built or how do mm-hmm. you get ready for your contest? And although there might be some things to learn in that kind of case study approach, yeah, with no assessments and no monitoring or recognition of genetic or social or skill differences, like you said, athletic background differences, all this stuff is part of an assessment, you know. So that whole just like me rule drives me crazy. And I'll tell you, because like I said, with the, the pre-competition contest gurus, they almost all do that. Like, here's how I do it. You know, I'm going to pull carbs out of you at this pace and and we're going to do this and this and you're you're going to eat two grams of protein per pound and you're going to take these supplements and, you know, I, I think a lot of beginners or even more advanced people that are beginning competition, they're very eager just to fo- – they want to follow a plan. And I think it's good. We talked about that before. You know, uh, an imperfect plan, if, you, if it's actually followed, is better than no plan at all or some mm-hmm. convoluted plan. So they want to follow something, but, yeah, that whole just like me, uh, do it just like me and you'll get the same results, that's asinine, you know. Yeah. Um, no, and I agree. I mean, it, it really varies with nutrition. I mean, any of those plans, you have to look at them as a rough outline, and there's going to be some kind of adjustment. You know, <laughs> even even if it's just, it, it, don't even start breaking down macros or anything, just calorie intake from individual to individual. I got, you know, four or five girls that are the same, roughly the same weight, and the calorie expenditure they need is totally, I mean, it's all over the place mm-hmm. compared to each other. Mm-hmm. And from lifestyle differences, just how much muscle they carry, their job. Metabolic their, rate. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, the age. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it varies 750 calories a day, you know, yeah. between five girls that are the same That's weight. That's funny. Yeah. So, point, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know, another one I've got here, and I, I'm interested to hear your take on this, but this might sound funny as me with a actual bodybuilding background, but I think a lot of trainers – uh, maybe coaches too, uh, but especially like on the trainer fitness side of things, they take a body part approach to almost everything. And I, I tend to think this is a mistake, right? Because if you're out to only look good naked, well, that's a great approach. But like you just mentioned, like uh, you have some fairly gifted uh, young pitchers and athletes of different kinds. I don't know, maybe a movement-focused um, program rather than a body part focused program uh, is much wiser for them. What are your thoughts on that? No, no, I agree. I just had a girl come in oh, three weeks ago or so, and she is playing professional basketball in Australia. Hmm. Um, so they play it in the summer over there because it's winter in the summer here. Anyway, so she's back. She was back here 
for the off season, and then she'll fly back over. She was working with a personal trainer in another place, and I asked her what she's been doing because she's been working with like six months and didn't like the results, this and that. And she had been doing like the same 10 exercises on machines for six months, and the weights hadn't changed and anything like that. And I was like, you did no free weights at all? I mean, you're, you're a freaking athlete. You're a basketball player. Mm-hmm. And no, he said we might move there sometime once it was safe for me. Oh, boy. You play basketball. You know, you run yeah. up and down a court yeah. and jump around, and, and you're not safe enough to do something static where you stand in place and sit down and stand up. And I mean, my point is, like, we literally, after all this work she's done on these machines where this guy's been pushing a pin and having to do three sets of ten, we literally squatted 65 pounds, and she was, like, wrecked in soreness the next day from that. Oh, and it was right. like, and you're supposed to be a professional basketball player. I mean, That's a fundamental you, a fitness component in this case. Yeah. I mean, this girl needs to, yeah, being ha- having muscle tissue is fine. She has to be able to move with it. Yeah. You know? Right. And that's her sport. She needs to be able to move Applied quickly. strength. And, yeah. And it's so, yeah, you see a lot of that, for sure. So, so. these are my notes, then, uh, everyone, uh, as far as <coughs> these mistakes, just to, I guess I want to take notes like this. But um, we've talked about the just-like-me error, right? So this is how I do it. This is how you should do it. And I think that applies to training and lifting uh, and eating. Um, there's the... Um, body part split for all model, you know, which I think is problematic at best. Um, what else did we do? The, um, the judgment, uh, the strength sports judgment error, right? Which is, that's a bad squat. That's a bad bench because I'm a power lifter or I'm a bodybuilder and that's not how we do it, mm-hmm. you know? So from judgments to program splits, you know, to lack of assessments and monitoring. I think we have a pretty good list here, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, I mean, those, the biggest ones are, you know, the, the first ones, I think. I mean, it's just realizing that everybody's an individual. It's Everybody has varied goals. You know, if powerlifting was the best thing for baseball players, then every baseball player would be a professional powerlifter, too. And they're not. Yep. You know, and same thing like this. Strength varies. You know, the best... Olympic lifter is usually not the best power lifter. Is not the best basketball player. Is not. You got to figure out what that person needs for that sport. Um, I recently had a girl who just won our nationals in Olympic weightlifting, and one of her friends is a bodybuilder. They went and decided to do a shoulder workout together, and my Olympic lifter was not as strong as this girl on shoulder pressing and things like that. But the girl that the bodybuilder girl could not like one quarter of the load that my Olympic lifter can throw over her head was all the bodybuilder could do. Right. It's very sport specific. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's because we've trained for that. And yes, there is a place for, to take some of those bodybuilding moves and bring it in for shoulder stability and things like that. But we we can't waste our time on that all the time. All right. Well, I guess that's a couple of common coaching mistakes. I did want to make a quick announcement before we let everybody go. Um, May, 12th i will be traveling abroad uh so the show that's may 16th just again an announcement for everyone uh if for some reason when i am over in japan i can't get the show up i don't see why i can't i mean they're more technologically advanced than we are but um you will be able to find it on facebook 
and on our Iron Radio archives page. So dig around at ironradio.org, check the archives, and you will get your weekly dose. Uh, and then as soon as I return, that I, I believe on the 18th, I'll make sure it goes up on iTunes and everything as well. Again, just a backup plan for listeners. So you will get the content, but I'm tr- trying to make sure you get the content. Um, and like I said, I think our Facebook listeners page, sh- we should have no problem getting that up in the Iron Radio archives. Uh, again, no problem with that. You will get that. Um, we have a pre-recorded show, sort of the Time Warp episode for May 16th. And we've got it ready for you. Just don't want to... Uh, have you missed that so that's all I've got have a good one everybody hey listeners have you seen the store at ironradio.org there are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each Hall of Iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need. 